Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. We are here to talk about week two of Infinite Frontier, and we are starting with Batman Urban Legends number one. There are four stories in this issue. Um, I would say that I really loved one of them. I liked two of them. And I thought one of them was just okay. Before we get into the stories themselves, what's your uh, what's your guys' rankings on these stories? Oh, man, you you want me to go ahead and rank the order in which I liked them, or just say just kind of say you know something similar to what I just said? You know, just like... I think I'm I think I'm right on board with you, honestly. Okay. Okay. Vince. <laughs> um. I really liked one. <laughs> this is going to be so okay. I really liked one of them. I liked one of them, and I thought two of them were just passable. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, let's start with the first story, which is Red Hood Batman. It's called Cheer. It's written by Chip Zdarsky, illustrated by Eddie Barrows and Eber Ferreira. This was the story I loved. I thought this was such a good Jason. This might be the best Jason Todd story in a very, very long time. Um, I thought everything in it was handled really, really well. I think it did a good job of giving a new reader, if such a thing exists, like a really good sense of who Jason is as a person and was as a Robin uh, without making it so simplistic. I, I don't think I've ever read much of Chip Zdarsky's writing. I've seen him. Like, I've read a lot of Sex Criminals, which he drew, but I haven't read a ton of Zdarsky's writing, and he handled the nuance in this, for me, really, really well. Um, I liked the sort of different artists for the Bruce story and for the Jason story, and overall, I thought this was just a damn, damn good Jason Todd story. Zach, was this the one that you loved as well? Yeah, it was. I really liked this one a lot. Um, the number one, I mean, like I'm a big Eddie Barrows mark, I think, and and this this was good Eddie Barrows art. Um, but yeah, this was the best Jason Todd I think we've read in a long time. Um, Zdarsky has kind of um, made a name. Well, he already had a name for himself, but he he's been doing like really good stuff. I've heard um, at Marvel with Daredevil. And like this is kind of in the, a, a similar wheelhouse, and I, I feel like he does a really great job here. He's, he probably makes like Jason the most like relatable and like, um, you, you know, uh, engaging that he's been maybe like ever. Um, and um, it's it's even interesting in a way. I feel like you could even like say that this picks up on kind of like thematic threads and ideas from three jokers without even actually have having to like touch on or, or, or reference three jokers. And like, Oh, I mean, I think it, I think it kind of does. It does reference. Yeah. Well, I never finished that. that I, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a line where he's like, Oh, Jason's the killer. And I think you could like read that as like, he's referring to, um, to three jokers especially since the person that bruce is talking to is um 
Barbara. Yeah, I mean, I felt like this was picking up that baton and running with it. But that's supposed to be out of continuity, too. I don't... It's if it's I don't know that that's 100 percent true. I think it's if somebody wants to use it, they can. Sure. But it's not like explicitly blatantly, you know, they they didn't say they didn't say, hey, he killed one of the jokers. (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's what I that's what I mean. Like, Uh, yeah, but I think it's pretty killed one of the three jokers. (laughs) Well, then that would then that would clearly put three jokers in continuity. But as of right now, it's like. What I'm what I'm saying though is that in doing this, they are clearly signaling what you're supposed to be thinking about. Sure. Anyway, keep going. Sorry. Oh no, no, you're fine. Um, I just really like the stuff with Jason and and the kid was like incredibly well done. I think, um, like unreasonably well done. Um, (laughs) like the Blue Hood moment, like. You it sound like some people talking about WandaVision online here. I, I, everyone said a, a reverent fuck under their breath when they read this issue. <laughs> I wish that wasn't on the air so that could be the stinger. Well, well, when this issue comes out, when this issue comes out, I'll post the blue hood moment with the like reverent fuck quote. It'll be like two weeks too late at that point, but. Um, (laughs) uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it was just really good. I liked it a lot. Vince, I'm going to guess that you thought this was good, but not great. I, this was one of the just passable ones to me. Fuck you. Really? No. Yeah. I mean, I, so, so first of all, I think I'm, I think I'm cooling pretty heavily on Eddie Barrow's art, um, recently. And I don't know if it's me or what. You can say it's me. It's you. But, yeah. Um, but also, I just think like I read they're investigating another new drug in Gotham. Great. Okay. The stuff with the kid. The stuff with the kid. You're right. The stuff with the 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 blue hood bit. That was really good. I, I I'll agree with that. But like. Everything else, I just felt like I didn't connect with it the same way that you guys did as far as Jason as a character. Like, to me, it it all felt way too on the nose and surface level, down to him finding a room, like, immaculately adorned with guns in <laughs> Batman's, uh, in the Batcave, you know? Well, here is, here's my, my somewhat... I don't want to interrupt you, but I just want to sort of counter that for a second. No, go. Yeah, please do. To me, I feel like everything in the issue was building up to the moment with the kid. The Blue Hood moment was what everything else in the issue was of service to. And so I, I think you wouldn't have gotten that moment if you didn't bring everything else in the way it was. I think see in my reading of it was that everything built up to the thing that he does on the last page which but okay I'm not disagreeing with that but you have to get without if that last page happened without that blue hood moment it wouldn't have meant anything no I know and I I completely I know that yeah I, I completely agree with that I just think I think that blue hood moment is really well done i I don't think any of the other stuff is particularly well done 
I think it's, I think it's, I think it's just so on the nose. It felt like I was almost reading the three jokers again. Um, There's your first mistake. I just didn't read three jokers. <laughs> <laughs> well, neither of them were very good. So um, oh, this boy. or that. No, I mean, it's not that it was bad. I, like I said, it, it's, it's passable. Like, None of this is bad, but I just felt like I was re- I felt like I was reading a story I've read before, and kind of a particularly on the nose uh, version of it. Um, so here's the thing: I strongly disagree with you, but mm-hmm. I could see either of us at the end of this six part story saying the other one was right. Sure. I think there's okay. enough in here that is both good and maybe a little bit on the nose that by the end of it, one of us could say, all right, the other one was, you know, was correct on this. I'll, I'll meet you halfway there. I, okay. I, yeah, I think that that's a reasonable take. Anything else to add about this story? All right, we then get a uh, a story called New Roots that is about Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. This is by Stephanie Phillips and illustrated by Laura Braga. And this is basically just, I guess, to catch us up on the Harley Quinn status quo before getting us into um, the Harley Quinn ongoing series. I don't know if... I, I really wonder if the only reason we have this story is to is for when people ask where is Poison Ivy, there's a little bit of a mystery there. I thought this was fine, but this wasn't particularly anything I cared that much about. Um I liked this quite a bit. I, I think the order as this book went on, I liked the books less. Um, so I like this a little bit less than the last one. I'm going to like the next one a little bit less and I'm going <laughs> to like the last one the least. Interesting. Um, I, I just thought that this was really fun. I like, I just think Harley Quinn is in such a good place right now. Um, and I'm just excited that like the writers are getting to tell these kinds of stories with her. I thought the art was really good. Um, I really liked the colors. Yeah, I just, I yeah, I liked this the story quite a bit. Vince, this is the one that I really liked, and the reason being is for all the stuff that Zach just said about like, I, I think this is, uh, I think this is the time in the comics that I remember uh, reading for as far back as I can remember, where they were the most overt about. Harley and uh, Ivy's relationship, you know, I feel like even in the, 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 uh, Palmiati and Connor stuff, which, which featured them a lot, they danced around it a lot, you know, but here, you know, they're telling one another, they love one another and they're kissing and all this good stuff, you know, like they're, they're, they're being overt about it in a way that they should, because like, let's give up the charade, right? Like, (laughs) um, also, I appreciated this a lot because one of my criticisms of the future state uh, uh, Harley Quinn, Stephanie Phillips stuff was that I thought they overcorrected on the jokiness. But here, I think I think she swung it back to that sweet spot. You know, like I think 
it's not so overly irreverent and it doesn't break the fourth wall in the way that like Harley has in recent years, but she's cracking a lot of jokes. She's um, cutting through some serious moments with humor and it's not always appropriate, but, but I think like Phillips strikes the right balance this time with that stuff. And it gave me, it gave me hope that, that Harley going forward, as we already talked about, um, I think maybe in last last uh, week's episode about how Harley's going to be more Gotham centric versus off in her own uh, Deadpool esque world, you mm-hmm. know. And if Phillips can marry that with the the jokey, traditionally funny Harley that we know and love, or some of us do. Um, that's where I want that book to be, you know? And I, I think, you know, I was concerned coming out of future state, just that there was an overcorrection going on. And now I don't think that at all. And, um, and I thought it was really sweet and like the art was great. Yeah. Um, I, I like this one quite a bit. I think that I'm, I'm the Harley apologist. So <laughs> what I was going to say is I think if you went back and you took out the proper nouns in that, and then you went back and you talked took out the proper nouns that the first Sam Humphreys issue of Wonder Woman of Harley Quinn, you'd have the exact same review. Like every new Harley Quinn status quo, we say like, oh, the last one had gone too far in the jokey direction. This is going to be bringing her back to something a little bit more grounded and not quite so jokey. That's just like that's what you say at the start of every Harley Quinn run now. That could be, and and and, and you're not wrong because like inevitably i get sick of it after like five or six issues yes right? yes there's yeah, a there, there's, right. a, there's a small shelf life for this you're absolutely right yeah yeah like yeah. i guess my ideal harley quinn is like uh somebody writes three issues and then they get somebody new <laughs> yeah but well, we'll see what, I, what i'm saying is i'm hopeful you right. know and that's more more what i didn't like about this was that to me this felt even though i've never seen this I don't want to say I've seen this Harley Quinn story before because this clearly isn't like this isn't her pining after the Joker or something we've seen before. But this type of like tonal shift in in Harley Quinn just seems like what we get every single time now. It mm-hmm. didn't it didn't feel new or noteworthy to me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's not to say that that the that the uh, the ongoing itself will suffer from those same issues, but it just seems to me like this is. Uh, Nothing really that new. All right, next up we get a story called The Caretaker, which is the outsider story written by Brandon Thomas and illustrated by Max Dunbar. Um, I thought this story was okay. This story is the most disappointing because of what we got with the outsiders from the same writer in Future State. I think if we didn't have that story we maybe would have felt better about this story. Yeah, this wasn't as good. Um, And again, just felt kind of very slight. Uh, Outside of the reveal at the end, there wasn't a lot to to go off of. Yeah. I do like what Brandon Thomas is doing with the Black Lightning Katana friendship. Again, I I never finished Brian Hill's Batman and the Outsiders, which is 
the most recent case of those characters working together. But I think that Thomas does a good job of setting up sort of a a working relationship that seems to have real love for one another in it. And I don't mean that romantically at all. I just mean like these characters clearly care about each other and there's a mutual respect between them that I really appreciate. I, I enjoy that. I, I, I did miss Duke. because I think the Duke was really great in that, in the future state story. And we get a little bit of metamorpho as Vince mentioned at the end of the story, there's a metamorpho reveal. That's pretty fun. But there's not a ton that happens here. Yeah, this was the one that I just kind of liked. Um, I think it's just a... It's just a very straightforward outsider story, whereas, like, the Future State one was, you know, every character had a little something kind of bonkers going on with them. You know, like... Black Lightning was like literally a, a a being of lightning, you know, and um, this is much more straightforward. So it's it's the effect is muted, but I I do like this team and I like having them around, and I think Brandon Thomas is a good writer. I think you know there's something here in the dialogue and the you know again I'm hopeful about what this outsider story can be more than more than necessarily what it is right now the final page reveal of metamorpho as the giant prison was pretty nifty um and i like metamorpho being in the outsiders you know as of late was in the terrifics um but i i, I like having him back here um so yeah i i i just i just liked it you know just enough you know what's what's sort of low key troubling about this story is that it, this is only part. This is part one of three. I feel oh, like, okay. I feel like there's not going to be enough meat on this if we're getting two more similarly length uh, stories. Whereas oh, I like, didn't realize it was only three. The Grifter story is five, and the Red Hood story is six. <laughs> Zach muttering. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's not wrong. We'll talk about that in a minute. No, no, um, no, no, no. But, you know, but so I just feel like if this was the start of something that was six or eight or ten parts, there could be a really interesting story brewing out of this. I just don't see them doing that in two more installments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It should also be said that Max Dunbar's art here is perfectly crumpulent, but it is not uh, Sumit Kumar. Mm, yeah. Who did yeah. the Future State story. One of the best-looking Future State stories. Indeed. All right, that brings us to the final story in this issue, which is The Long Con. It's a grifter story. It's written by Matthew Rosenberg and illustrated by Ryan Benjamin. Like Zach, this is my least favorite story in this uh, in this issue. So, Zach, why don't you take it away? I mean, I conceptually like love Wildstorm stuff. Anytime there's a Wildstorm thing, I want to like it. But I just and I think Grifter is like a really cool idea of a character, but it's just like so rarely does Grifter like hit the mark for me. Um, and I, 
I don't I just don't know what it is. I did like the way Grifter was used like in that issue of Tynion's Batman run recently, but it's like anytime Grifter is like is the uh the main character or at the forefront of an issue, I just I just check out. Um and I I just I don't know what it is. I I've I what didn't Rosenberg also do something during Future State? Did he write the Grifter as the well? Grifter, the Grifter, the Grifter one. He, he yeah. did the Grifter one there too. Yeah, like I didn't like that either. Um Well, his Grifter's really annoying for one he is. thing. He is. Um Yeah, I just it, I didn't it, his, like this. His Grifter is like half country bumpkin half just like super asshole i don't I, I don't understand what the character is yeah he's supposed to be like the the grifting magnificent bastard he's supposed to be han solo and he's not he's not even close no 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 um yeah i will say that this one i, I you know i said this was passable to reason being is because i like there are elements of this i like like i like that you know pre um infinite frontier a grifter story would have felt like it took place separately from everything else you know Mm -hmm. effectively in this it is very much entrenched in the infinite frontier bat stuff you know um, there are also these hints that have played into Tynion's run too with the, um, Batman tells Grifter, Halo is playing you. Batman had mentioned Halo in, um, you know, one of those, one of those Tynion issues where he used Grifter. Um, they're all just playing Halo. Yeah, yeah they're all playing Halo. They're, they're, they're jumping warthogs in the gulch. Um, so I, I like elements of it that make it feel like it's a part of this world. Um, when it comes to Grifter himself, I just it's like you said, Zach, when they focus on Grifter, I check out. And it's because Grifter is just too much. Grifter is almost Deadpool <laughs> level, like, like yucking it up here while he's getting searched for weapons, you know? Um, Rob Liefeld has written both characters. There you go. And it just doesn't work for, like, I don't know. Sometimes I want that character. But but here, I guess when, sorry, Matthew Rosenberg, but I guess when Rosenberg writes Grifter as this smug Deadpool character, it just doesn't land for me. It just doesn't slap. <laughs> so I'm sorry. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, I this is this is this is not very good uh, for me for a lot of reasons. I think Ryan Benjamin's art is fine. I think that there are a couple of ideas that are not terrible in here, but it all comes together in just uh, an insufferable way. And we have four more installments of this. We do that. We do. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of the Urban Legends book as a whole here? I actually like it a lot, um, even though not all the stories like hit for me. But like as a package, I I thought it was really cool. 
Um, I liked it a lot. I, I guess if you average out my feelings on all the stories, I would say it's perfectly average. Um, but I do like what it means for Brian. You alluded to this earlier. Um, if they were to do more books this way, where it allowed them to use some of these characters in continuity, very much in the current status quo, but, you know, snuck them under the guise of the, the Batman banner, or if they did one of these for Superman, or, you know, God forbid, the various Green Lantern characters get a book like this, you know. Um, I don't think it's necessarily going to happen, because Batman's the straw that stirs the drink, but, um, you know, the style of book that it is, is kind of something I've been wanting for a while, you know. It's closer to the Shonen Jump thing, <laughs> you know. That's that's the ideal. That's that is the ideal goal. That's the pinnacle that we will never reach, right? Right, right. Um, but it's closer to that than, you know, than we've been. Yeah, yeah. I think ultimately this is an excellent development, even if the execution is not the best. And that's all right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our second book of the week, which uh, is The Joker, number one, written by Guillaume March. I'm sorry, written by James Tynion IV, illustrated by Guillaume March. Um, so I find it very interesting that both the Joker story and the punchline story in the Joker book are really about the people that are hunting them. So this, this is really a, and we have been told this about the main story. It's really a Jim Gordon comic, and a Bluebird backup, rather than mm. a Joker comic and a Punchline backup. And to be totally honest with you guys, I am much happier with that. Reality. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Such a great like stealth <laughs> surprise hit. You know, like <laughs> if you just like being announced as a joker book and i couldn't have grown more but <laughs> like this is maybe my favorite infinite frontier book is that crazy it's not crazy but i'm not gonna go there with you yeah i i, I think i'm with vince on this one but yeah i mean it, it's it's good it's this is a really really good first issue um it is really good yeah Yeah, I mean, it's uh, go off, Zach. Talk, talk about us why. I mean, like, this is some of March's best work ever, I think. And I'm probably the biggest March guy on the podcast, I think. He's good. Uh, yeah, I, I like his art a lot. I, I this just, is. I'm, I have to interject here for go, one go. second. I don't know how Vince can like yeah, March and not like Kelly Jones. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I can. Like, it's this huge difference. Like, they're That's not right. even comparable. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Um, this is like the best second book of like any second book, I think. So like, you know, Bendis loves to have the second book. Um, you, you got, you have the second book that goes with the main book. Um, say second this... book seven or eight more times. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> this is so good as like a, um, I, like a a second book not a, not a not a filler but like a 
that book that kind of like fleshes out the world this is the perfect companion to Tynion's bat book and that it's it's picking up on all these threads that are going on without like focusing on batman you know this is and maybe that's why i like it because i am like really interested in the batman status quo right now but i like don't care that much about batman um yeah no i just i thought this was awesome yeah this is really good um did this this is it's going to be really interesting to see if the book can maintain being a Jim Gordon book the whole time or if the first couple of issues are Jim Gordon and then it goes over to being a Joker book. But, I mean, the way that Tynion is setting it up, I also what I love about this too is that this is probably a 12 or 18 issue series, but it makes no bones about that. Like, there's, there's a very clear pr- objective here, right? Jim Gordon is going to try and find and kill the Joker. And... I don't think you can keep that going for two or three years, but I think that there's enough story here to keep going for a year, year and a half or so, and to be a really good, somewhat self-contained story while not feeling disconnected from the rest of what's going on in Gotham during Infinite Frontier. Mm-hmm. Vincy? Yeah, I uh, I think it's really good, too. Um but I, I guess what I'll say is I'm going to, I'm going to make a confession here. I'm not a big Jim Gordon fan. And what I mean by that is not that I dislike him as a character, but I, I do not need to read a story that focuses on him or I, or I, I don't often enjoy a story where he's the major narrator. This coming um, from the man who on farmers only today talked about how much better Batman year one was than the dark Knight returns. I did not say that, but okay. yes, you did. So, somebody on farmers only had said that that was that they, that was their hot take. And you were like, I thought that was abundantly clear. No, all I said, all I said was, is this controversial? Like uh, to, it wasn't anything about my own feelings. It was, it was, I'm pretty sure that's a regular normal take and not the hot take this guy thinks it is i i somewhat agree with you but i do think i do think that's the lesser take i think more Maybe. people think the dark knight returns is better okay but to, to me it's like it seems like a 50 50 proposition it's it's not it, you know what i mean like this it's, it's not like pitting um it's not like pitting uh bendis's superman versus all-star superman or something like that you know what um, I mean? <laughs> I mean, but to me, and, and again, we're getting way off topic here. But I feel, <laughs> I, I feel like to me, you did this. I know I did this. This is all my fault. The Dark Knight Returns is the Batman book that everybody who fancies themselves an intellectual has read, and so I feel like because so many people have read that that didn't read Year One, I think it's always it. it, it it's like saying. It's, it's like saying what's the most popular or, or what's the best Alan Moore work. Everyone's going to say mm-hmm. Watchmen because everyone's read Watchmen. I guess that's my point. I guess, but but in my I guess in in my experience, they're recommended hand in hand. It seems like to me. Gro- growing up, they were always two sides of the same coin, and I was always recommended both, seeing both everywhere. And I guess I just assume. I assume that it's probably. My guess is that it's more of a 50-50 proposition than it is some, like, 
it's certainly not a hot take. You're not saying year two is better than the Dark Knight Returns, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But I mean, like when the Dark Knight right, when Dark Knight Returns hit its 25th anniversary, whatever it was, DC sent me like a statue and all this shit. It's like it was this big deal. I DC has never celebrated the year one anniversary. To me, it's just there. There is a big gulf between the import of those stories to the average person. But we're getting off topic here yeah it must just because you know you're so much older than i am and yeah um you're right you know that you have more historical context and experience yeah. with that and yeah i think you were you were probably around when that book came out and so i was like uh, two or three yeah i was around <laughs> okay can't relate um anyway <laughs> sorry brian i love you that's all right um <laughs> what were we saying um, no, I was just saying how you, like, like, how you hate Jim Gordon and you, no, hate, you I, hate families. To me, Jim Gordon is a seasoning that you sprinkle into the Batman. You don't, I don't, I don't like a story built around Jim Gordon necessarily. Is this your um, saying, way of saying you don't like the show Gotham? I've, I've seen the first episode of Gotham. Yeah. I, I tuned in for, for my man, Donald Logue. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I tuned out. Uh, the Dow of Steve himself. Um, yes. <laughs> that's a deep cut. Um, you're you're derailing me. What am I? What am I saying here? Uh, no. So okay. So two things. Not the biggest fan of of Gordon being this much of a focus. Also, feel like it's too soon to see the Joker again. But we're we're never gonna get away from that. You know, we're always gonna have Joker books. Half of the black label line was about the freaking Joker. So, like, taking those two things for what they are, this is a really well done book, even if it's not geared towards what I like. You know what I mean? I can I can see that it's a quality product, and I love Guillaume March's art, and I feel like I almost can't believe that 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 DC just keeps letting them go wild because like his art is so unconventional and and bizarre in just the best way that I almost can't believe like he just keeps getting consistent work there. I, I love that. Apparently they love it too. Um, but, but yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a really high quality book and, and it just, it continues uh, James Tynion's uh, winning streak. It's just not the sort of thing I generally am interested in. And, and the fact that it's kind of shuttled off, away from the bat book, which apparently contains all these other elements of the Batman bat family meta narrative. I kind of appreciate that because that, because then the stuff that isn't necessarily for me is often its own book that I'm still going to have to read. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, it's kind of crazy because I, any other time I feel like, you know, you said, too much joker too soon i would have been like yes i never want to see the joker again but i like that he's not this is picking up on joker war i think in a really interesting way without having joker being the main thing like joker is not going to be in the main bat book for a long time i would guess he's going to be off doing whatever they're doing in this book and i i really like that um i just think like this status quo of of gordon going and having like hitman adventures in belize where he's trying to track down the joker like <laughs> io's hitman but it's jim gordon 
and the target is the Joker. That is the best thing I've ever heard. Um, I mean, that is a solid, yes, that's a solid gag. It is a gag. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for this. This isn't, this is at the top for me. I wouldn't go as as hard as Zach is going for this, but I wouldn't go much below that, especially because I think that the punchline backup is similarly as interesting as the uh, as the main story in terms of how it's constructed. Uh, this is written by James Tynion and Sam Johns, and illustrated by Mirka and Dolfo. And uh, what we get here is we get a. Uh, Essentially, a a closet Bluebird book here where Bluebird is going off to investigate basically the pre-Punchline life of the the person who we begin to know as Punchline. And, um, I mean, I I often forget that Bluebird is a Tynion co-creation. And so it makes sense that he would be the one to bring Bluebird back. I also wonder if there's anybody outside of the three of us that are, that are big Bluebird fans, or if that's just like something that we share among ourselves. But I, I can I, tell you, there's a lot of people who aren't fans, and it's the typical assholes. <laughs> yes, that 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 makes sense as well. Um, that see blue hair and just like want to rip out their own hair for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. I don't pretend to understand them. But this was a uh, this was a very fun cool way to do this to do this story and i hope that this is a backup for a while or that this leads into harper row being a central character in a different battle i I really think if and when they ever bring back birds of prey she has to be a big part of that but that's just me what did you guys think of the uh the backup here zach you want to go I mean, I liked it. Like, again, I like I like everything that's going on in the bat books right now. I like the status quo. I like all these characters. I like what they're doing. I it's like Tynion can't do anything wrong. So it's good. Yeah, this was the one this was the one that when when I read it, it hit me that, oh, this is that this is that pre flashpoint bat status quo that I liked so much. This is that even though even though Bluebird was not around then. But what I'm saying is, like, this may have well as been uh, Red Robin, you know? To me, that's what this is. And and it's it's a sign that there's a Bat family that exists apart from Batman, and they're maybe going to focus on it again, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, so, yes, more Harper Row for sure. All day. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. 
All right, well, let's move over to Superman number 29, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, illustrated by Phil Hester, the double Phil special this week. Um, so this was an issue that... So in the Infinite Frontier one-shot, we saw Doubt being cast on John as the future Superman. Here we see the doubt from the other angle where we see John's doubt at the uh, ability and um, ability is maybe the wrong word, but the longevity of his father's tenure as Superman. I thought that was a really interesting way to construct these two stories together. Zach, as, as the resident Superman boy, what do you think of this? Super that Superman boy, that's me. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, this was easily like my least favorite, biggest disappointment of the of these two weeks of uh, Infinite Frontier so far. This this was a whole lot of nothing. Um, I I just kind of wanted more. I think. Um, I liked the art just because it felt like, again, it, it kind of felt like a throwback uh, mm -hmm. to an earlier era. I did, I did yep. kind of enjoy that. Um, but like, it was just, it was just very slight. I don't know. I, I just kind of, it's not a very strong start in my opinion. Yeah. What, what, what event did we read during our crisis management that had a lot of Phil Hester in it? Was it our worlds at war? Or, it, it might have been our worlds at war. Anyway, yeah, big, big, big uh, visual flashbacks to that, and I, I like Phil Hester as an artist quite a bit. Um, yeah, definitely. But, but I agree with Zach. Like, this just didn't hit for me, and I think like the big problem is that in in this particular issue, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson just tries to hammer that same point about John's John seeing the weakness in Clark and it disturbing him. And I feel like he just hits that with a hammer over and over and over again. The narration kind of overdoes it. It, it basically takes the entire, you know, 22 pages or whatever it is to do that. And I felt like we got it, you know, and I felt like it, but that's all this that's all this issue was, you know, it was this unrelenting attack from this breach and it was just driving that same point home that maybe, you know, John is seeing his father as uh, not invulnerable for the first time, you know, and you're right, Zach, it didn't do enough else. It didn't cut that with anything really. I, I guess there was a scene where, uh, Clark uses the phrase Coney ball, which is a pine cone <laughs> game that John invented. Yeah. That's like, that's like the one moment that cuts through. And, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Well, and I think like a lot of the good stuff comes in like the last five or six pages and the maybe. first, yeah, maybe. And like the first dozen or so pages are just, you know, it's, very sparse narration which you know we we've all kind of talked about how like narration without any other kind of like dialogue can be kind of dull 
I think. Um, and and it just feels like some of the space is just wasted a little bit. I don't know. Maybe that's unfair. It just didn't feel like a very strong start. I don't disagree with anything that you guys said in this. I, I, I thought this was a very slow start to the story. That said, I do think that... How can I say this? I think that there's a value in keeping these first couple of issues for each of these stories, for keeping them slower paced because I think this is going to be theoretically a place for a lot of folks to jump onto these books. And so I think whenever that is the, whenever that's the case, the publishers like um, their intent is always to, to just slow things down to a pace that a reader that isn't as steeped in continuity as the three of us are, can pick up this book without too many questions. And I, I, I don't I don't necessarily agree with that model. I'm just I think that's yeah. possibly what's happening here. I will also say that if if that is true, if DC is slowing things down for that purpose, I think there's a good chance, like a a solid chance that the people who are going to be reading this book have never heard of Jonathan Kemp before. Right. And so it's reasonable, yeah. And so if if you are trying to introduce people to Jonathan Kent, I think this issue does a much better job of that than it does being what we wanted it to be. Yeah. And maybe and maybe action comics will be like the one that I kind of wanted. I think God, I think you're right, Brian, but I don't I suspect you're right, but I just don't think that that's the that's the right play. I, I also because don't we, think it's forever. I really yeah. don't. But but you don't have time in comics anymore. That's the problem. We say that a lot on this show. We're like, oh, this is getting off to a slow start, or or um, you know, they're they're this is uh, you know only part one of a six issue. Yeah, okay, but like in comics these days. You don't have that much time anymore, you know. A, In this a, a economy, writer, <laughs> a writer gets like a dozen issues on something if they're lucky, you know. Maybe two dozen. I just feel like you need to. I, I mean, maybe I don't know what uh, the average Joe reader wants these days, but like, man, if this is if if this is this is one of your, you know, let's say you get to write twelve issues of Superman. And this is one of them. Like, I just feel like you got to do a little more with it, you know? Again, I'm not disagreeing, but I also yeah. think that there there is a fair amount that there are a fair amount of stories that could come out of this that I think would work pretty well. The issue is going to be if we, if Philip Kennedy Johnson gets the chance to tell a long enough story to make to make a filler issue like this not stick in the craw of of us and other readers like um you know anytime you and Vince is the king of reading a thousand comics so I'm sure that there are good runs that you can think of that had a fair amount of filler in them 
but you don't think about that because the highs are so high. Mm-hmm. But like you said, people get maybe a dozen issues nowadays. Yeah. Is there going to be enough in this to to forgive the to forgive the slow start? I don't know. And the funny thing about what you what about what you're positing about this, you know, maybe being somebody's first John Kent book or uh, somebody's first Superman book is that the backup, which we're going to talk about, will be completely incomprehensible to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it so was we... almost incomprehensible to me. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to Bibbo in a minute. Um, but I, I do want to echo Phil Hester's art being good, and I also I want to say. I think that John's reaction to Clark being vulnerable specifically because of what he knows from being in the future is a there there's a good story there. I am convinced sure. there's a good story there. I just hope we get to it. Yeah, I do I do like the uncertainty like kind of around both characters right now. It it there is a lot of potential. It just wasn't a very strong start. I think especially because the Infinite Frontier Zero story was much stronger than this. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, so we get the, the Tales of Metropolis Bibbo back up, written by Sean Lewis, illustrated by Sammy Bossery. And um, I'm just going to come out and say it. This is Bibbo Erasure. If he's... <laughs> If if he's not calling him Superman with like three O's, it's not really Bibbo. I don't know why Bibbo's a writer all of a sudden. All of this makes no sense to me. Well, he's clearly being he's being uh, uh, catfished and gaslit. Somebody somebody told him he'd be a big shot Hollywood screenwriter for the movie that he probably wrote is some uh, you know Zack Snyder trash or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like a reverse and, Barton Fink or something. Yeah. So I can excuse it. I mean, you're right, Brian. You are right. You know, but if this is if this is all part of the con, I can kind of excuse it. But but um, but like but he should like when when he so there's there's the whole thing how he's being annoyed by that villain who is trying to bang his date uh, <laughs> in story, right? And yeah. um <laughs> Uh, because they're really in cahoots together, but whatever. But the guy keeps throwing popcorn at him or whatever. And when he flips out, he's just like, fuck this, fuck that. He's he's swearing up a storm. Bibbo is like an old uh, cauliflower-eared boxer. He should just be like, you know, this isn't the nice thing to do. He has, he's, he's, he's like basically super nice, hulked-out Dan DiDio. He should be like, this isn't the right thing to do. You shouldn't be doing this. Superman wouldn't like this. Like... He's supposed to be this like innocent man child type character, and it's just not that at all. It's just it's Bibbo Erasure. Yeah. He looks like Mr. Spenig. <laughs> <laughs> I too hope to come loud, preferably in a sixty-nine. <laughs> like the back of a Volkswagen? <laughs> well, did he come or what? <laughs> all the Mulrats uh, jokes like, that Zach doesn't get. I'm yeah, like a I jackhammer. I go in, you're never the same. You've changed. Uh, <laughs> Snitchy boochies. All right. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, did you guys have any thoughts on this Bibbo backup? Zach, you go for it. 
<laughs> no, not really. I, I, I was very confused by what the purpose even was until the end, where it seems like we're going to get kind of like a a team up of all the Metropolis characters doing cool things, which is actually a very cool idea. Yes, it um, is. I'm here for that. Uh, but it's okay. So this is superhero comics are, are, are dumb and they don't have to like, like this isn't Shakespeare, but when the, this last line where projectress is like, now their champions gather. Time to see what Bibbo Olsen in this city are made of. I'm thinking, like, why? <laughs> like, why? Like, how is this part of a pl- like part of your plan is to trick the hapless folk of Metropolis into banding together and fighting you? Why? I I, I don't get why any of this is happening. You know, I know we're not supposed to, but it seems particularly far fetched <laughs> that they're targeting. Bibbo for some reason, you know. I don't get it. I was um, gonna go back to reading my Louis Simonson Superman comics that had Bibbo in it and be there. You with go. That. Yeah, I mean, I'll keep reading this because Projectors yeah. is nice with it. But um... <laughs> <laughs> oh man, King Simp. Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, the other thing is uh, this story is actually. A, a metaphor for Bibbo, the common man, falling for QAnon. <laughs> Essentially, yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, Bibbo Babowski. You, uh... <laughs> Bibbo Erasure. That's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's what it is. I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, that brings us to our final issue of the week, which is Wonder Woman 770, written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, illustrated by Travis Moore. Vince, take us there. Well, I, I for some reason, I feel like you guys aren't going to like this one. And uh, by all rights, I don't know if I should like it either, because like it it's it's not pay. It's not immediately paying off on any of the Wonder Woman stuff that Infinite Frontier kind of left us with, at least not in any obvious way. There there's some uh there's some trappings here and there about like, well, why is Diana where she is, which is, um, I guess like Valhalla (laughs) for some reason, you know, obviously that ties into her, her death or, or Ascension, I guess at the end of death metal. But really the story that we get here has nothing to do with any of the post, uh, death metal, infinite frontier stuff. And so I feel like, that kind of threw me for a loop loop. But for what this is, which is a, a, a wonder woman in Valhalla meeting a sexy, uh, as guardian prince or whatever. Um, and, and basically, uh, playing around with the, uh, Norse mythology stuff so they can get away with, uh, having Thor as a character in this. Uh, I appreciated it for what it was. Like I thought the, the dialogue was pretty snappy and I, the, this uh, uh, I forget his name. What was his name? This guy, Sigmund or something. Yeah, she calls him Siggy. Siggy, yeah, like charming character, uh, both in the art and I believe in the writing. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous uh, Travis Moore art, by the way. Um, 
so so I dug it. I, I don't think it's exactly what I want or where I want Wonder Woman to go. Um, cause I, cause I am more interested in the, the kind of, uh, future state, infinite, uh, hara- <laughs> damn it, Zach, <laughs> infinite frontier. <laughs> You're gaslighting me. Um, I, I am more interested in that status quo. And so I, I'd like to, to get to the point of that a little more, but this charmed me. Zach? Um, I actually really liked this a lot. I really oh. liked the, the Travis Moore art. Um, I like the, I, I actually like this, I think more than any Wonder Woman thing I've read in a long time. Damn. Um, this was actually very cool to me. I, I, it didn't feel like as much of a like rip on the, um, like the Aaron Thor run as I was kind of afraid it was going to be. Um, that makes one of us. You thought it was okay. I yeah, it, it it didn't like swing that as much as I kind of was afraid it would. Um, so to, I I liked that. To to me, I, I'll let you finish here. Um, but to me, it was just like I don't think it was one hundred percent a rip on that. But this could not have existed without that. If that makes sense. I think that's sure. fair. I, th- I think that's reasonable. Yeah, but it's not like I thought it was going to be like old Wonder Woman in the future, and like do like I thought they might be like doing the multiple timeline thing, and and it's not that. It it is like very much. You're right. It it is like building off of successful recent Thor runs, but it's doing something. I think a lot more interesting with um, just putting Diana in a very different place than she's been in a long time. I think the stuff with Yggdrasil and potentially tying it into, um, the green and all of that stuff is a really interesting idea, you know, saying that it's like part of the parliament. Um, uh, yeah, I just thought that this was really, really cool. I thought this was good. I did not think this was bad at all. Um, I enjoyed parts of it quite a bit. Uh, as I said, I, I do think that this is um, this can only exist because of the Jason Aaron era Thor stories, um, which is fine. You know, those Marvel and DC influence each other all the time, and I'm not going to hold it against the story for being influenced by what's by all accounts, you know, an all time. Thor story, right? So that that's fine. Um, it's funny because we also talk about how we don't like comics that are super decompressed, but I felt like this would have had more impact if there was an issue or two of her time sort of in not quite, we're not quite calling it Asgard, but like if if, if it wasn't just one issue of her meeting this new character and you know developing this friendship slash maybe romance with this character only to have him you know basically die in front of her all of that felt very rushed for one issue and while i don't really i'm not really advocating for doing like five issues of this story i think ultimately you'll be better off with less issues it's just um it felt a little bit rushed to me the travis moore art was dope and really exciting to to see so i liked that but it just you know it just felt uh it just felt rushed and it felt a little bit like a letdown because of because as as you said vincy how 
how how Diana is set up at the end of the Infinite Frontier one shot to be this like incredibly important and powerful character on the DC scale and then to have her shuttled off into a story that feels like the ultimate definition of a story that won't quote count even if it's a fun story mm-hmm I think that this was maybe mm, this might have been my favorite book. It's between this and the Joker of everything so far. Batman 106, I think, was my favorite from last week. But uh, this is up there. Yeah, this this would be up there. You know what I just realized about this book, though? What's that? I've, I, I've unlocked what the what the Wonder Woman uh, post uh, Infinite Frontier status quo is. What's that? When she ascended, we actually found out that she's part of the Animus Project at Abstergo Industries. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is Assassin's Creed, baby. And the and and the Siggy guy is one of the sexy Templars who teaches her how gross. to assassin. You need to stop. I'm right, right. <laughs> No, she's in the sphere of the gods. That's the other Zach Nip thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've never I, gotten to go to the sphere of the gods, I don't think. I mean, again, I think that, I think there's a lot of interesting ideas that could be coming out of this. I just felt that this was a little rushed and maybe a little bit uh, undercooked. But that's okay. It wasn't bad. And I am still excited to see where this story is going to go. Yeah. Um, all right, and then the, uh, there's a backup in this story, in this book, rather, called Young Diana, written by Jordi Belair, illustrated by Paulina Gonchow. And I really wanted to to like this, and I thought it was okay, but this is the backup that felt the shortest of all the backups we've seen so far. And I know, Vince, you were, you were lauding the shortness of the backups before, but this one, to me, felt... Uh, I wish I had another couple of pages of this because I love the art and I, I thought it was a, it was a fun, a fun young Diana story, but it just felt really rushed. Mm-hmm. I think I'm willing to give the backups a little more of a break. I, you're right, Brian. You're right. It definitely felt like the slightest of any of these backups for sure. And that's saying something because a couple of them were slight, even if they were good, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think with the backups, I'm 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 more okay with that. I'm more okay with saying for the backups, like if at the end of however long the backup run is going to be, if at the end we got like one issue's worth of a solid comic, I, I'd be pretty happy with that. And so I think I'm willing to forgive this, um, but I definitely see your point. It looks great. It looks great. I think it's it's fun in a way that DC doesn't allow itself to be usually in its main books. You know, like I, this is a backup in the main wonder woman book. That's amazing to me. That's an excellent point. You know, like this, this looks like one of their OGNs, right? Mm -hmm. Like this in, 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 in the pre uh, infinite frontier, this would have been just an OGN, which those are great. That's that's great, and they have their audience, and that's awesome. But to fold it into the actual main title, I think is it's a big deal. Um, 
it's also fun that it plays with uh, Diana's history a little bit. It reminds me of like the golden age. There were times when in the golden age, it would be adult Diana, uh, wonder girl, Diana and wonder tot all adventuring at the same time with one another. And it just like, I like how, again, like you don't often see this era called back to, but I think it's a little bit more popular to do that since, that was a part of the Wonder Woman movies that people seem to like. Yes. And so it's 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 easy for them to look at that and say, well, let's put a little bit of that into into her main book too. So So yeah, you're you're right, Brian, but I I, I still dug this too. Yeah. Yeah. Zach? Yeah, this was fine. I don't I don't have a ton to say about it, but it was it was fun. I liked the art. It it felt different than you know, most of the line. It did feel more in line with like the kind of the young adult or young young reader OGN. So yeah, it was cool. I'm trying to think of what where I saw Paulina Ganachov's art. We just saw it relatively <sighs> recently. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to pull it anyway. Yeah. It's um but it it was very nice. It it was very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Great success. Um great success to congratulations to Borat for winning winning a winning a Golden Globe. Yes, of course. Um All right. So, we're 2 weeks in which of the two weeks did you guys prefer thus far? And try and try and leave the one shot out of it because the one shot's its own thing. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely this one. Yeah, without the one shot, it was this week. Yeah, without the one shot, you have Batman last week that I think we all really enjoyed, and then everything else we felt was just okay. I don't think there was anything this week that was as meh as Suicide Squad or Crime Syndicate. Superman. That wasn't as bad. Oh, come on. That was no. Wow. That was no. If if it was okay. forty pages right. of Bibbo, yes. But there, you know, <laughs> otherwise, I. Uh, yeah. All right. You you just you just say what my opinion should be. Okay. No, I, fine, I'm Brian. I'm disagreeing with you because this is what we fucking do. We do a show where we disagree <laughs> with each other. <laughs> no, we do a show where we agree with each other usually. <laughs> Uh, this is where Zach says, as usual, I fall somewhere between you guys, but that's okay. Yeah, I wish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but okay. Yeah, you uh, do. I know I do. <laughs> uh, Someday when this when this is all over, this, <laughs> this COVID business, uh, I'm going to give you guys the biggest smooch, both of you. <laughs> Uh, WonderCon 2022. Um, that's that's the dream. That's the dream, right? Yeah. Uh, Vince, what's coming up for us next week? Hey, I got it this time. Look at that. Um, yeah. Uh, well, well. First of all, we're not reading this, but would you believe that Batman versus Rachel Ghoul number five is coming out? Next I, week? I did see that. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, but we are reading Catwoman 29. Uh, Justice League 59, Nightwing 78. Ooh, that's the big one. Um, 
and it looks like Flash 768. And then this isn't Infinite Frontier, but I just I do want to point it out. Superman Red and Blue number one comes out next week too. Yes, I I am excited for that. Yeah, I don't think we'll cover. Probably won't cover it, I guess, for Infinite Frontier. But well, we'll we'll, we'll DM about it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll 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 take it to Lad's chat. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to see. I'll be reading that book for myself, and and maybe what we'll do is maybe we'll all, um, pick a story to yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, well, thank you for listening, folks. We, uh, we're going to be doing this every week now for a while, checking in on the Infinite Frontier titles, so hopefully you're enjoying that. If you have to get in touch with us, two-thirds of us are on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. And I'm at Walker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is currently being groomed by some supervillains to be a uh, some sort of uh, big writing star in the Twin Cities. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Superman. There we go. Thank you. I said when, when I when I can't fall asleep and I, I just chant that like a mantra, and uh, <laughs> Bibbo takes me up to slumber. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, have a good week, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Later. That was like that was like Zach saying goodbye to us. He did say goodbye to us. He's gone. What? <laughs> I don't know if he forgot we were still going or he really had to pee or something. He's gone. Uh, I'm, I'm texting him. <laughs> well, that's the stinger for the second episode for sure. <laughs> none, of the, none of the post-show... <laughs> We usually debrief for at least five minutes. <laughs> yeah.